Today we're going to be looking uh, at what the story of the Tower of Babel uh, has to teach us about how the way uh, we see sin as what it is that we're building. Uh, so with that in mind, we're looking at Genesis chapter 11. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's Word out in front of them. And if you need a Bible, there are blue hardback Bibles all throughout the room, page 9. With that in mind, let's hear from the reading of God's Word. This is Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open as we pray together. Father, we thank you for the clarity and the lenses which your word give us. Lord, we pray that we would see this world all the more clear because we see your son, Jesus, and because we hear your word being spoken to us. Holy Spirit, would you be here even now? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So what is it that you are building? What are you building? You know, that was the question uh, that the world-famous Christopher Wren, an architect, Uh, world-famous architect, asked uh, three masons that he was talking to famously. Uh, If you know the name Christopher Wren, if you like architecture, you'll know that Christopher Wren was the famous uh, English architect who built, uh, rebuilt St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And uh, there's a famous parable that comes out of the life of Christopher Wren. Uh, He came up to three men working on the cathedral, and he famously asked them, what are you building? What are you doing? And if you know the parable, the first brick mason said what? I am laying bricks to feed my family. (laughs) You know, what are you doing in your life? Well, I'm working to provide for my family. That's what I'm doing. The second brick layer responded, well, I'm building a wall, (laughs) right? Very practical. What are you doing with your life? Well, I'm breathing, right? What are you doing with your life? Well, I'm doing it. The third replied with a gleam in his eye, I am a cathedral builder. I am building a great cathedral to the Almighty. You know, if you know me at all, you'll know that I'm a sucker for a good question. I love a good question. And when Christopher Wren asked those men, what are they doing? What are you building? They all reveal exactly what they think that they are building. The first guy says, I'm working to provide for my family. That's a pretty good answer, right? The next guy, maybe not so inspired, says, well, I'm just working to work. But the third man, of course, comes with the most profound insight. He sees himself as building a great cathedral for the living God. So what is it that you think you're building? You know, I know life can seem mundane, right? We wake up, we make coffee, we rush to work, we go to the grocery store, we do the laundry, we visit with friends, 
we cook dinner, we dream of vacation, or maybe you dream of moving to Idaho or Texas. But in all of the, you know, that spoke to somebody in the room. <laughs> when you and I do these things, what seems like mundane things, do you realize, uh, can you step back like that third mason, that third bricklayer, and realize that you are building your life day by day, brick by brick? It may seem very mundane, but friends, uh, life is anything but mundane. And as we go through this series right now, I want us to focus on this idea of building. Because building is all over the story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, Of course, if you look down in your Bible in Genesis 11, you may realize uh, that the title for this uh, section of the Bible is called the Tower of Babel. That's That's not originally in there. That's something we've added, just like we've translated the Bible into English to help us understand this. But really, the tower is just one part of a broader city that the people are building, right? So we could call it really that they're building a city, and in the heart of the city, they have a, have a tower. But what is it that they're actually striving to achieve as they build this city? What is it that they're hoping to accomplish? Well, I thought it would be helpful this morning to look at how they approach building uh, in sort of three ways. They're going to be building a city, Uh, They're going to be building a name for themselves, and then we're going to see how we build a hope or how hope is built for us. So what do I mean by building a city? Look with me at Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, if you've been with us, you may remember vaguely that when Adam and Eve are uh, removed from the garden, where do they go? It's a famous uh, book title from John Steinbeck. Which direction do they go? They go east of Eden. Well, the author of Genesis continues that eastward trajectory, and now the children of man, uh, literally in Hebrew, the children of Adam, the children of Adam, are now moving, and they continue their eastward trajectory. Of course, as they go, they don't get very far before they come to a plain and a field in the land called Shinar, and they say, come, let's build a city. And they use brick. And I, I love the King James because it says they don't, it doesn't say bitumen, which is a weird word. It says they use slime, <laughs> which is a lot easier to understand, right? They use slime and brick and they build for themselves a what? A city and a tower. And why are they doing this? Well, before we maybe answer that question, when we think about building and what these, uh, what these people are doing, the children of Adam. What they're doing is they're building a city for themselves. So does that mean that God loves rural people more than city people? Is it cities that are wrong? Well, hardly, right? If you were, uh, if just a cursory reading of the Bible would show you that God loves cities. Uh, there are more images of God per square inch in a city than there are any rural place you've ever been, as one famous pastor put it. But if you think about how God interfaces with cities, we know that God loves Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. He loves cities like Corinth and Antioch, Jerusalem, Rome. All of the major cities in the world usually are the centers for where the early church started. 
right? We have two letters to the church in Corinth. We have letters to places like Rome. Uh, If anything, Christianity began as an urban religion, not a rural religion. So God loves cities. He loves the bustle. He loves seeing his image. So what is the problem then for the children of Adam to go build a city? Well, the problem, of course, is that God told them to do something very different. Uh, I know it's a long time ago, but in Genesis 1, 28, God gives the children of Adam a command. In verse 128, he says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing. Uh, Did you catch that? God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and to do what? Fill the earth. He wants them to be dispersed over the face of the earth and bring the image and the glory of God and man's dominion to the ends of the earth. Uh, Now, I take this verse very seriously. Um, If you know me, I am actively working on being fruitful and multiplying. This would be a good time to remind you that Caroline, my wife, is due with our fifth child in two weeks from today. So you may not see me in a couple of weeks, um, but I'm praying I won't miss a Sunday. But, you know, the Lord always has his plans and his purposes are never thwarted. So we'll see. But we see in Genesis 1.28 that God gives man, the children of man, a simple command. He wants them to disperse. And now Adam and Eve are east of Eden, and their descendants are told to keep doing that to continue to expand over the earth. And how far do they get before they decide, nah, that's not really what God's calling me to do. And have you ever met anybody like that? Somebody who, you know, professes to have a relationship with God, and yet when God gives a very clear command, they go, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me. Well, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. Well, Genesis 1, God tells the children of Adam what to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And so what do they do instead? As the people migrated from the east, (laughs) they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Um, I don't know if this makes sense to you, and I apologize to anybody from Ohio, but I often think of Ohio in that same way because, you know, I'm from the east coast, right? I'm from the other side of America. And when I think about how, you know, Americans spread across the country, I like to think that there were people like in Pennsylvania or Virginia way back in the day, and they were like, we're going to go to Oregon. We're going to hit the Oregon Trail. But then they only get as far as Ohio, and it's mostly flat, and they're like, this is good enough. Let's just stop here. And that's how Ohio got founded. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's real. But in my mind, it's real, right? In my mind, that's how I see Ohio. I apologize to all the Ohioans in the room. But I think what you see in this story, right, and, um, you know, this is a, you know, in a way, this is about being intellectually honest when you read the Bible. Because when we read the Bible, we make assumptions and judgments on what God is doing, whether or not we believe God is being just or not. And very few people, even today, uh, you know, would say that they are truly atheists. Uh, most people today would still believe something about the divine, something about God. Uh, many people would be either they believe in something or at least they're agnostic. So when they read the Bible, they're often looking at it from the perspective of not is God real, but is God just? And does it seem just for God to disperse the people when they've just settled in this area? But what I want you to realize when you and I read the Bible, to be intellectually honest with what the Bible has to say, 
you and I have to remember that when we see God doing things, it is always, always in response to what's going on in the heart of people. God is responding to their heart. So last week, like when we looked at Cain, and God says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door, and you must rule over it. Otherwise, it's going to devour everything that you have. God is not picking on Cain. God is responding to what's going on in the heart of Cain and issuing a warning. And so when God looks down, he's got to actually get his telescope out. It's so small. You know, in Hebrew it says, when God came down, you know, they think they're building this tower to heaven, but God has to be like, what's that down there? Oh, oh, you're building something. Isn't that cute? God has to look far down at what they're doing. He's responding to their disobedience, uh, to their pride, to wanting to do things their own way. God said to do this, and we instead are going to do the opposite. And so, of course, God is responding to what's going on in their heart. So that's the problem, right? They're, they're defying what the word of the Lord had said to them. So what is it that they end up actually building with? Now, if you look in verse 3, uh, verse 3 may seem like a throwaway line to many of us. Uh, you know, we get bored. You know, they use bricks and bitumen, and uh, they don't have any stone. Uh, but, you know, many commentators are split as to what that means. You know, uh, you know at, at a bare minimum, it's much more labor-intensive to make bricks than it is to use stone. I mean, just think about that, right? I mean, if you could chisel a stone or you got to, like, make a brick, you could see how making brick would be much more labor-intensive. And also, the problem with brick is they often, you know, break down over time. You know, think about, uh, I don't know, the pyramids. Right? Those are stones, right? They're still there. But things that are brick deteriorate over time. And so what many commentators have pointed out is um, as much as the people uh, want to build their own city to do what they want to do, they're using bricks and slime, <laughs> right? That's literally what they're, they're using this sort of gross amalgam of things. And then they're thinking that's impressive. And they're very much impressed with themselves. But is God impressed with them? Well, no, look at verse 5. It says the Lord came down to see the city, right? God has to literally use the telescope. You know, whoop, oh, the, you guys, what are you doing? He's got to come down and see what the children of Adam had built. And of course, you know, the, many people get uh, focused on the tower in this story. Uh, you know, that was a, it's not necessarily like a tower like we would think of, like, um, I don't know, the Eiffel Tower. Uh, you know, most uh, scholars would say it was more like a ziggurat, which was, you know, sort of like a... Uh, if you looked in those old buildings in, you know, sort of South America that were like a temple, you know, that would be sort of similar to what is most likely the tower. It was seen as sort of like a stair step up into heaven. So what is it that we're supposed to learn from them building this city? Uh, clearly, God does not want them to do it. And so God scatters them. So what is it that we're supposed to learn? Well, is it that cities and towers are sinful and God doesn't want people to be architects? <laughs> Well, no, of course not. That would be focusing on the wrong part of the story. God is responding to their heart. But then I think what you and I see and must see out of this story, um, and you've got to have ears to hear this because um, it'll be easy to ignore me when I say this, but it's possible for you and I to explicitly reject God's word and then still expect a relationship with him. And then still expect him to bless our sinful decisions. 
I mean, why do you build a tower to the gods? Why do you build a tower to the gods? And that's what they're doing. They're building a tower because they think they have something like a relationship with God, and maybe God will do what they want. I mean, when they build the city, the first thing they build is the tower trying to get God on their side. So it's possible for you and me to build, uh, to make financial investments in our relationship with God and yet never actually be in relationship with Him. How many people do you think are fooling themselves every Sunday, building their own little towers to God, either through their money or their good works or their self-justification, thinking they can attain to the heights of heaven? And God's looking down and saying, don't you hear my word? You know, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So why is it they're doing this? I mean, if God clearly says, do A, and they go, okay, we're going to do B. And will you please bless B for me? Now, that rhymed way too much. I apologize. But why do they do that? Why do we do this? Well, I think they actually tell us the answer. And they start to reveal how... um, I know this seems like primordial history, right? The Tower of Babel. It seems like a long time ago. But what I would suggest to you, friends, is that people haven't really changed. You know, from the time the Bible is written to the time of today, we haven't really changed. We're still tempted by the three primordial temptations of pleasure, possessions, and pride. Those run through the heart of every person. We're tempted by pleasure, possessions, and pride. And what is it that the people of Babel are tempted by? They're tempted by pride. Why do they build the city? They even tell us why they build the city. Look at verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a what? Let us make a name for ourselves. You see, what they desire most of all, what they desire most of all is to make a name for themselves. Right? And a good name is great. I hope everybody has a good reputation. But, of course, this kind of name is not the kind of, you know, reputation that you and I would want. It's to make glory for ourselves. It's that sinful turning of pride into being like, I want everything in my life and in my world to revolve around me. I mean, what do we spend more time curating than our own reputations and our own pride? How much time do I spend in front of a mirror to make my hair look like I didn't spend that much time in a mirror? More than you would think. How much time do we spend curating our names and our reputations? I mean, what is social media other than a curated self for the world to see? What is it that the people of Babel want? Well, they want a name for themselves. They want glory for themselves. And, um, you know, you're not going to do this, and that's cool. But if I could wave my wand and get you to do something, I would invite you to read You Are What You Love by theologian James K.A. Smith. It's one of my favorite books I've read in the last several years. And what he talks about is what drives a lot of our lives, what you and I build towards in our day-to-day life is often not shaped by the things that we know. It's shaped by the things that we desire. It's shaped by our wants. What is it that you are wanting when you dream of Idaho? What is it that you are wanting when you dream of vacation? 
What is it that our hearts are actually orienting us towards? And then what's at the heart of the people at Babel when they say, what'd you say, God? I'm going to build a city, but I want you to bless it still. Is that cool? You cool with that? You're going to love this tower. Wait till you see it. James K. Smith, um, this is so profound. Uh, He says this in his book. He says, our wants and our longings and our desires are at the core of our identity. The wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow, our wants reverberate from our heart. This is why Scripture tells us, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Discipleship, we might say, is a way of curating your heart to be attentive to and intentional about what you love Because discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than it is of knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and our longings with his. To want what God wants. To desire what God desires. To hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. A, A vision encapsulated by what the Bible calls the kingdom of God. (laughs) Uh, Friends, when you and I think about what we are building, we are building that which we love. But are we building the city of man, the city of me, or am I building towards the kingdom of God? What do we most want? A name for ourselves. You know, if you've ever... Uh, experienced any of the Shakespeare plays, you may remember from Othello what Cassio famously says, right? Reputation, reputation, reputation. Oh, I have lost my reputation. I have lost the immortal part of myself, and what remains is bestial. See, what Cassio's getting at is we think if there's no, no kingdom of me, <laughs> no city of me, then what else am I living for? But friends, the great news of the gospel is that everything in this world is passing away. All the desires for pleasure, possessions, and pride, they are passing away in the world alongside it. But you and I, we seek a city that is to come. We seek the kingdom of God. We have no abiding city here. Idaho ain't what you think it's going to be. Retirement isn't what you think it's going to be. The curated social media account isn't going to be what you think it's going to be. The ziggurat in the city center of Babel ain't going to be what you think it's going to be. You know, as we go on, we see that there's this incredible complexity that the Bible has when it talks about humanity, right? On on one hand, yes, we are gripped by sin. Uh, Yes, we are the children of Adam. And yet, somehow, we still bear the marks of the Lord himself. We're still made in his image. And I love that. You know, the Lord in, you know, verse 6, the Lord comes down, and uh, he's talking to his heavenly host, and he says, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends on what those people desire, isn't it? And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Isn't that an incredible statement of humanity, right? They come together for the city. We have such capacity for beauty and for good, and yet such a capacity 
for destruction. So what does the Lord say? Come, let us go down in there, confuse their language, so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over all the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Why does God disperse the children of Adam? Well, we see they're trying to build a city. Uh, They're trying to get God to bless them, even though they're not obeying his word. They're trying to build a name for themselves uh, to seek their glory rather than the glory of the creator, rather than the glory of God. But friends, uh, there is such hope in this story. There is so much grace. And this is about having that intellectual honesty I was talking about when you read the Bible. Because if you see God uh, in judgment, you also have to see God in his grace and in his love for people. Because even though he scatters the people, he is actually accomplishing his purpose of redemption. He doesn't wipe them out. What he does is he scatters them, and he starts to make a breadcrumb trail leading back to him. Because even though God scatters them right now, we know in the history of redemption, in the story that the Bible is telling that you and I are a part of, what it says is although he scatters all of these people, there was a day when he began the process of bringing the people back to himself, bringing the people who were no longer his people back into the family. God will accomplish his purposes. God will redeem this broken world. There is hope. His plan will come to pass. Uh, Friends, all of our yearnings for a city all of our yearning, yearnings for a home, they're all fulfilled. All of our yearnings to taste greatness, to have that reputation, right? To be lifted high. All of those things are possible. They're within your grasp. But not when you build the city of man. Not when you build the city of man. Friend, that is like trying to grip a bar of soap. You ever done it? It pops right out of your hand. You squeeze it real tight and whoop, it goes out. You build the city of man and you won't get it. But friends, all of those yearnings are found in the kingdom of God. They are found in the kingdom. You see, although God scatters the people here, we know that when we get to the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, you know, 50 days after uh, Passover, what does the Lord do? Well, if you go to Acts chapter 2, you'll know that the 12 apostles all have divided tongues of fire over their head. Interesting word, divided tongues. You know what divided means? It also means distributed, kind of like how God distributed the people at Babel. Well, now he takes distributed tongues so the apostles can start to proclaim the gospel, that the kingdom of God is here. The city we have always yearned for. The home we have always yearned for. The unity we've always yearned for. The glory that we wrongly want for ourselves but still pine for. It is here. Becoming who we were meant to be. The image of God is possible. Because Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, came down, took the punishment of our sin. And because God has love for you and me, he raised him from the dead three days later and has thrown open the doors of the kingdom of God so that you and I can become citizens, not of the kingdom of this world. It's passing away, but citizens of the kingdom of God, citizens of his eternal city of Zion. 
You see, friends, what God dispersed at Babel, he regathers at Pentecost. And now God calls all people from every nation, language, and tribe to drop the brick and the slime. Drop the brick and the slime. Stop building your kingdom. And instead, see that you are a living stone being built together by the Spirit to be a dwelling place for God. Friends, there is a temple where God can be met. But it's possible by faith in Christ, empowered by His Spirit. And we do make great a name. We do live for a reputation, but it's no longer ours. It's the reputation of our Savior. We live for the glory of God, not the glory of man. Friends, this is the great news of the gospel. So, let me just finish up. What are you building? What are you building? Well, one easy way to find out is what do you dream about? What are your heart's desires? You'll find ways, whether you think about it or not, to build towards that. It'll shape everything you do. The heart is the wellspring of everything that we do. So guard it. That's what Proverbs says. So what are you building? You know, Jesus talks about building our lives. He talks about it in the greatest sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says these words. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had founded on the rock. Friends, when you wake up each day, as you go through the liturgy of making coffee, as you rush to work, you go to the grocery store, you cook your dinner, you dream of vacation, you enjoy retirement, you dream of Texas and Idaho, what is it that you're actually building our kingdom? What are you training your heart to love? What are you curating your desires to be? Um, Friends, am I building the kingdom of me or the kingdom of God? Uh, Friends, uh, hear the words of Hebrews. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of heaven. And Lord, we thank you that you are making all things new. Father, as we have brick and slime in our hands, Holy Spirit, I pray that we would let those things go. Lord, we would take up building the kingdom. Lord, that we would not be so focused on our reputations. Lord, that we would lose our grip on pride and we would build our lives on the foundation of your word, and on the gospel. Oh, Lord, I thank you for our lives. Oh, Lord, I thank you that we can hear from your word. Lord, I thank you that you see us in all of our complexity. Uh, Lord, you know that our uh, spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And so, Father, I thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray that uh, your spirit would be working in each one of us and that we would be building your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.